Um, this class uh, will be available on the internet later on. Um, I'll be putting it out on on uh, my website, maybe the church's website. I, I don't know what that process looks like, but uh, we'll we'll see. So if you want to find it, it's pastorjoshhawkins.com, and it's the podcast. It'll be on there. All right, let's uh, let's pray again, shall we? Can we stand? I know we just sat down, but can we stand? <laughs> Once again, Holy Spirit, we say, have your way. Speak to us. Father, I, I, uh, I freely admit that how, how small my understanding is of the mystery of prayer, but it's something that I want to seek out. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we continue forward in these next few moments, that you would show us new stuff, that you would open up the word to us in ways that we haven't seen or understood before, that you would speak deep realities that would answer some fundamental questions uh, on the inside of us. And, Lord, that you would give it, that you would come and breathe fiery breath on our prayer lives, that we would become a people who are in constant communication with you, that we would become a people who understand truly what it means to pray without ceasing, that we would become a people who, who, who are set in the place of prayer our entire lives. And Lord, I just ask for that, Lord, that we would honestly understand this incredible gift that you've given us called prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that, that, that Josh Hawkins would not stand in the way of anything you want to do today, um, but that you would just flow through each uh, teacher this morning uh, powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's something that I, I, I just kind of want to acquaint you with real quick before we get, before we launch, and that is kind of uh, my my tone, my teaching style, okay? I, I'm, I'm by nature a pretty sarcastic guy, okay? So I tend to be a little uh, tongue-in-cheek when, when I talk. And sometimes people that don't understand that about me will hear me say something and say, oh my gosh, did he mean that? And the answer is no. <laughs> Now, when I'm talking about the things of the Lord, I, I, yes, absolutely. But when I'm talking about myself or, you know, um, the human condition, I'm, I'm, I'm likely to be a little bit, uh, oh, I don't know, irreverent when it comes to the things that man brings to the situation. Because this thing we call prayer uh, is, is fascinating to me. Uh, it's, it's the connection of man and God. It's this place we've been invited to since, since the Garden of Eden. That's really the reason why we were created. You understand that? It, if we go to Genesis chapter 1, and you can turn there or not, because I'm not going to turn there right now, but it, uh, God creates all of creation. He makes everything. And then he kind of has this last thought. Now let us make man in our own image, which that statement all by itself deserves about 10 years of intense study. What in the world does it mean? this thing that we call the Imago Dei, what in the world does that mean? The image of God. 
uh, 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 it's an absolutely fascinating idea. And if you follow it as a thread through scripture, it's really, uh, it's elusive, but it, it means about a hundred things. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that I'm really interested in, but we're not going to talk about it today. Just go search it out. But he says that they might rule over all of creation. That this is this is the purpose for which he created man. Okay? That he he built human beings to be a people like him, set in a place of authority over creation. Now, I would ask you, how does that authority play out? I can tell you how it has played out. Well, what was God's original intent, God's original idea about how man ruling over creation, what that actually looked like? And I think we have a clue when we see God visiting Adam every night in the, in the cool of the day. God would come and he would walk with Adam in the garden. And I think what was going on there doesn't really, the Bible doesn't give us clear understanding of it. But it must have been related to the purpose for which man was created. Doesn't that make sense? So God was building relationship with, with Adam so that God's way, God's uh, nature, God's authority could be unleashed through him. You see, man was meant to rule over creation as an emissary, as a carrier of God's will to the earth. Not man's will. It was not about man imposing his will. Now, human beings have used this understanding of, of God giving uh, nature to us to rule the earth, human beings have used that, that word as an excuse to destroy the planet. Have we not? We have used that as an excuse to, you know, to steal from this place that, that God has given us. And that is why we're in the situation we're in today, uh, environmentally and otherwise, um, is because man did not understand the calling that God had given to us to rule the planet. The calling he had given to us was to step into agreement with him for the earth, to create a place for human flourishing, to create a place where God's glory could be uh, manifested to its highest level, to create a place where all human beings could be could expand to their greatest potential. That, that's, that's what God's rulership looks like. When Jesus talks about rulership in the kingdom, he says the, the world, everything, everyone that rules in the world and not in the kingdom, they lord authority over those that they have authority over. That's how the world, that's how authority works in the world. Authority in the world works by, by the big strong guy uh, lording over, you know, threatening the people underneath him. And, and you know, kind of subjecting them to this place of servitude and saying, you're going to do what I want you to do. But Jesus said, that's not what rulership in the kingdom looks like. Rulership in the kingdom is servanthood. And the way I like to kind of phrase this idea is rulership in the kingdom is about me laying down my life so that you can reach your fullest potential. Is that, is that not what Jesus did? Jesus poured out his own life so that human we, his followers, could become everything God had created us to be. Sin had gotten in the way of us being everything God had dreamed over us. And Jesus came in and took that out of the equation and gave us the empowering work of the Holy Spirit inside of us 
so that we could be everything God had created us to be. One of those things that God created us to be was rulers of the earth under the auspices of God the Father. So this is how authority is manifested in, in the earth. Okay, God the Father has an idea of what earth is supposed to look like. And he imparts those values, he imparts that passion, he imparts that, that, uh, that understanding, that revelation to human beings who then, by his power and his authority, are unleashing his dream of earth onto the planet. Does that make sense? Okay? We call that process prayer. Now, it's more than that. It's also about, you know, you know physical acts of kindness and things like that, but but it will it does not work without prayer. That's five dollars, Miss Daisy. Yeah, I just want you to know. I know we, we're kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool right away, but uh, I think it's absolutely important. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty. Second Corinthians one. We're going to look at verse 20. Okay. This is one of my absolute favorite verses about prayer. And when you first read it, you're not going to see prayer in there at all. But it, this, this is an understanding. This, is, this right here is... Uh, this, this verse really gave me... The, the answer to my questions about prayer, and um, well, let's just read it. I'm reading a, the English Standard Version. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That him refers to Jesus. That is why it is through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay? I'll read it again. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay? I remember the, I had read this verse a hundred times. And then I was in this search. I was asking God to help me understand prayer. And this verse kind of just drifted along and exploded in my spirit. Because this is the picture of, of prayer, this is what it looks like, and this is how it's supposed to work, okay? Because what happened was, God had this grand idea for creation, this beautiful plan for creation, and sin got in the middle of that and wrecked the whole plan. Now, let me say something to you. God wasn't surprised by the sin problem. Are you aware of that? The sin thing Guess what? This whole process has been a part of God's plan A for creation. And we can't get into our heads this idea that God had this beautiful plan and then man came in and wrecked it and God was like, what am I going to do? No, that's not how God works. God fully knows the future. He knows it completely. So he knew this was going to happen. And he had, was already prepared and he, and he had a plan in store and he's actually going to use 
This is amazing. But he's going to use our mess up to make more glory of creation than, than there was when he originally created it. Is that nuts? But it's beautiful. Okay? I love it. So anyway, so here's what happened. God, God laid out the earth to glorify himself, to, to, to say who he was, to, to, to manifest his glory. He created the universe. And as the crowning, achie- crowning achievement of the manifestation of God's glory in creation was man. And sin comes into the equation. And then Jesus comes along. Well, wait a minute. So every promise that God had laid out for creation, all of his dreams, all of his promises, all the things that he had, he was... He was so excited about all of that. This big hitch in the giddy-up came along called sin. Okay, and God said, all right, now I cannot do what I planned on doing in creation. I cannot, my original speaking over creation has to change now. And he brings Jesus along and Jesus gives us back all the promises of God. Without the cross, none of the promises of God could be kept. Without the cross, none of the things that God had designed and desired to do in creation could ever be accomplished. But in the cross, Jesus came along and he restored every single promise that God had ever made over Israel, over human beings, over the earth, over all of creation. In the cross, Jesus comes along and he picks up what was fallen and he exalts it in himself. Is this amazing or what? I could talk forever about the cross too. Oh my goodness. The cross of Jesus Christ was more than just your fire insurance. The cross of Jesus Christ gave God back to you. The cross of Jesus Christ. You know, the good news of the gospel isn't golden streets and seeing our lost loved ones. Those are great things. But the good news of the gospel is that we get to fellowship with the Father forever with no boundaries, eternally expanding understanding of who he is and joy in one another. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the reason the gospel is good news. One of my, I love John Piper. He's got a couple screw ideas, but I love John Piper. And he always says, if heaven is just eternal golf, then I don't want to go there. You know what I mean? Now, I wouldn't have a whole lot of problem with eternal golf, personally, but he said, um, heaven, the glory of heaven is Jesus Christ. That's why I'm interested in spending time there. The rest of eternity, eternity would be incredibly boring if we didn't have an eternally enjoyable God to explore. Right? You know, I've talked to Christians over the, over the years that have said, are we going to get bored in heaven? And I'm like, have you had a glimpse of God? Okay, because the Bible says that all that we've seen of God now is like we're looking through a glass darkly, you know, we just barely, oh, we get the tiniest whiff of who he is and where our minds are completely blown. Then all of the veil is going to be completely removed and we're going to be, ah, for billions of years. I honestly think we're going to get to heaven and our loved ones who are there are going to be like, I just got here 10 seconds ago. Yeah. Right? You know, Abraham's going to be like, I don't know, it's only been five minutes. What are you guys doing here? Because he's been so absorbed in worshiping and, and experiencing and reflecting the beauty and the glory of Jesus that it doesn't feel like any time at all. I'm excited about that verse. But here's what this verse is, says. All the promises of God are yes because of the cross, 
because of Jesus. But wait. Through us resounds the amen to his yes. Jesus makes it possible, but it is the church that releases it. Jesus made it possible, but then he relegated the actual release of his promise to the prayers of the church. Now that is both exciting and really scary. Think about it for just a moment. God's promises, the things that God wants to do, are waiting on one of us who is connected with Christ to say amen to what Jesus wants to do. Why in the world would God do this? This is why I called this thing the mystery of prayer. Because I don't understand what is in God's brain. I mean, I'm beginning to understand. And God doesn't really have a brain, but he does have a mind. I don't, what was he thinking? <laughs> Jesus, you came in and fixed our mess with the cross. Why are you involving us again? And God says, because I don't want to do this without you. See, the real reason why God pens his promises on prayers is because he wants us involved. <coughs> could God just step in and do this whole thing? He absolutely could, but he refuses to. Because he wants a people on the earth, who are looking into his heart and saying, I love that idea, Father. Yes, and amen. Is that crazy? Is that insane? But that's what prayer is. This is the way that I view it. I was at, I was at a conference a few years ago in Colorado, um, which this church is not fair, okay? This church that, that I was at, it's the church my sister attends, and uh, she's been on staff there. Her husband has, over the years, just different things. And she's a part of the worship ministry there. My sister Piper, I don't know if you guys know her or not. but um, uh, <coughs> And they have a conference every year called Resound, which is a worship in the arts conference. Oh, it's really great. Uh, and it's a bunch of hippies, and it's really fun. Um, it's, you know, they, 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 they're Jesus hippies, but they're still hippies. It's either hippies or hipsters out there. So... <laughs> You know, and sometimes you can't tell the difference, really. But anyway, we were there, and I was just, and the, 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 the back, the, the wall of the church behind the stage is just windows that look out on the front range of the Rocky Mountains. Okay. <laughs> and they have to close the blinds during the preaching because no one would pay any attention. <laughs> right? They would just be staring out of the mountains. Anyway, so I'm there, and we were the, um, they weren't even talking about prayer, but the Lord kind of grabbed, have you ever had you know, a preacher preaching, and all of a sudden the Lord grabs you and says, I want to talk to you about this, and it has nothing to do with what they're talking about? By the way, if that happens while I'm talking today, listen to him, don't listen to me, I don't know what you're doing, but listen to him, and just shut me off and, and listen to the Lord, because so I get some of my best understandings of who God is during those times, when God's like, all right, I want to talk to you about this. Well, this is what was happening at this conference. The Lord said, I want to show you what this thing looks like. Okay, This thing, because I had been asking God, to, I wanted to understand faith. Faith is a big deal, especially in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is constantly looking for faith. And when he finds it, he is so overjoyed. He just, he'll be like, hey, faith, wow. You know, he's just, he loves that because he's walking around in a, in a culture that is supposed to be full of faith and there isn't any. 
He's walking around in a culture of people who are supposed to be God's people, but they actually don't have any idea who God is. None. And they have no faith at all. And so he's he's walking around in the midst of God's people and there's no faith. That's why Jesus says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's looking for it. And, And God said to me, and I was pressing into this. I was saying, Father, show me what faith is. Help me understand this thing, this mystery called faith and which is really the mystery of prayer. Is That's what the mystery of faith is. I want to understand it better. I know the verses. I know that it's the substance of things hoped for. Um, anyway, I forget how that, that verse goes right now. But anyway, what it, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. I always do those, flip those around. I'm like, Father, I, I know what you say in your word about prayer, but I don't have a heart understanding of it. The Lord said, let me show you this. And he showed me this picture. And the picture was he, the Father up in heaven, okay, and in his heart, he's got this whole long line of things that he is wanting to do in me, through me, for me, okay? And they're just lined up in his heart. He's got all these plans, all these things, and, and he's looking at me going, here it is. Do you want this or not? And it takes somebody who loves him enough to gaze into his heart and say, Father, what do you want for me? I belong to you. What is your desire for my life? And he begins to reveal those things. And then we said, and then, and then, you know, in this picture, I was like, ooh, that's a great idea. Amen. I love that. That's good. And God's like, now I can birth it into the, into the physical realm. But not until then. You see how understanding faith that way is actually serving God, not serving me? Because I think the church, here's the problem. In Pentecostal circles, a lot of us have kind of gotten burned by the kind of name it, claim it thing. And a lot of us are like, that's, that, it, it has swung so far to the other side. They had some truth, but now they've gone like off into something else. Some of them, not all of them, but they've kind of gone off of the theological deep end. And a lot of the Pentecostal church is going, please don't define us by them, please. Right? Are you guys with me on that? Okay, as a person who really deeply loves theology and the preaching of the word, it is hard for me to talk about faith in a Pentecostal setting because people are automatically going to put the label of name it, claim it guy over me, prosperity preacher over me. But I don't want us to lose this jewel, this beautiful thing that God gave us called this process of faith. I don't want us to lose that. Because of that, so this is, faith isn't about me asking for what I want. Faith is about me saying, God, I see what you want. I see the city that wasn't built by me that you have built, and I say yes to it. Isn't that what Hebrews 11 says? They're searching for the city whose builder and maker is God, right? It's not the city that they've always dreamed about and they wrote their prayer journals about. No, it's the city that God has built. So prayer and faith, this is how it works. Looking into the heart of God and saying, yes, that, I love that, and and then birthing it into this world's realm. Do you see that? That's what the amen to his yes looks like. Jesus has set the the whole table for us, and God the Father is going, now come eat. That's good. That's good. Did you have something, Miss Daisy? Um, He's talking about Hebrews here, and I'm talking about faith. Uh, The verse, but without faith, it's impossible to come to him. Yeah. Or to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
number one, be the rewarder of them that diligently <coughs> seek him. Okay, let's review it again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. People stop right there, and they're thinking, oh, how do I get faith? Oh, how do I get faith? Okay, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I fast? Should I da-da-da-da-da-da? And they stop without faith. It's impossible to please him, so they want to get faith. All you got to do is read the rest of it, and you'll figure out what faith is. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You want faith? Here's your, here's your way to, to get faith. Here's the way it works. Uh, uh, Daisy, ch second chapter, verse 3. I'll give it to you, my translation. <laughs> you can't do this without faith. But here's the good news. Just come to me, believe that I am, know who I am, and realize that if you'll keep on coming, I'm going to reward you. Just keep on diligently. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Just keep coming, coming, coming. And you'll get it. And you'll understand because you see me. You know me. You know who I am. Amen. I love that too. Isn't it interesting that God says, you know what, you can't please me unless you know I want to reward you. Isn't that good? Right? Isn't that good? You have to know my heart to please me. That's what he's saying. You have to understand me in order to please me. And that's what this whole faith thing is all about. He wants a people on the earth who understand who he is. And he's not willing to do, he's not willing to lay out this gigantic plan and, not, and do it without a people who understand who he is and who agree with what he wants to do. That, that is his, his real goal is to have a people who love him, who understand him, and who agree with him. Who have chosen to love him, understand him, and agree with him. This is, his, this is the thing that he loves. This is the thing that he's after, and that's why we pray. We pray so that we can get to know him. We pray so that we can come to see things his way. And we pray so that once we're aligned like that, then all the resource of heaven gets exploded through us into the world. But he won't do it without a people who love him, who understand him, who agree with him. Now, you know what? He's just too good. He's just too good. Because is there anything better than knowing God, than loving him, than agreeing with him? This is it's so good. And that's his highest calling. Here we are. us, you know, we have all this, because the devil knows. He, he knows what we're just talking about. Right. Yeah. He loses. Right. right? If you know how glorious God is, how deeply satisfying he is, <laughs> I'll tell you what, you want to defeat sin in your life? Just get deeply satisfied in God, and sin just loses all its power. That's the truth. Begin to press into this. God, you want me to know you? How many of you have ever read The uh, Seven Longings of the Human Heart? Anybody? Oh my gosh. you got to read it. It's so good. It's by 
Mike Bickle and Dana Chandler, I forget. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it. It's called The Seven Longings of the Human Heart, and it's about these seven desires that are in the heart of every human being and how God is the only answer to those and how righteousness looks like us seeing our desires fulfilled in God. That's, <laughs> that's good, dudes. Righteousness is just this. All the, you want to be righteous? Just be deeply satisfied in God, and you'll be incredibly righteous. You'll be glorifying Him completely. You'll be doing His mission in the world, and you'll be seeing the kingdom unleashed everywhere that you go because you're deeply satisfied in Him. That's what we're looking for, and that's what God is looking for. You walk after the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. Go this way, you can't go that way. You eat enough vegetables, you won't be wrong for the children. <laughs> it works that way. And you know, at first, vegetables don't taste all that good. <laughs> but when you've been eating vegetables for a while, all of a sudden, they're the best things you've ever had, and you wonder how in the world you ate that stuff before. You take a bite of, you know, take a bite of something that's full of sugar and has no nutritional value and you're like, oh, that's terrible. Now, I'm not there right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I've heard anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm searching for a verse here. I think it's in Jeremiah 2. That kind of speaks to this. Yeah, it's Jeremiah 2.12. It speaks to this understanding of finding our satisfaction in God and equaling righteousness. Okay, Jeremiah 2.12, the father is talking about Israel. And he says... Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay? He says, this is his indictment of Israel. He doesn't say they've been worshiping idols. He doesn't say they've been breaking the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, he says, when you boil it down, this is what Israel has done. They have looked at me, the only satisfying thing, the only thing that can quench their deep creation thirst, the only one who can give them the life that they so long for. They have looked at me and they have said, I don't want that. And then they've gone out into the desert and they have dug a big hole in the ground and they have said, now let's fill this thing with water. But no matter how much water they put in it, it just sinks into the sand because it's a broken cistern that can't even hold water. And so they stay thirsty on purpose, trying to fill their mouths and slake their thirst with all of the things that will never satisfy them when over here is the overflowing fountain that never runs dry and they will not drink of it. That fountain's name is me. He's showing their utter stupidity. You're fools. You refuse to be satisfied. What are you thinking? I would created you to be satisfied in me and my purpose for you and my dreams over you. 
All of your potential is meant to be fulfilled as you agree with my plan for your life, including the deepest satisfaction and joy possible in the human soul forever. And you go running after all these other things that will never, ever satisfy you. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of John 7, when during the Feast of Tabernacles, here comes Jesus secretly into the festival. He, he actually wasn't going to go. And everyone's doing their party and, you know, having their Christmas party or whatever. Imagine some guy just standing up in front of your party saying, in a really loud voice, and Jesus rarely spoke loud. He said, anyone who comes to me will never be thirsty. That's, that's a moment right there. Yeah. That's, that's it. I always pictured, you know, in front of the temple at this time were these huge jars of water. Big, gigantic jars full of water for ritual cleansing. And I always picture Jesus, because he's standing on the steps of the temple. I always picture him coming along and just kicking one of them over. <laughs> and saying, this isn't where you go if you're thirsty, come here. You know what I mean? Just this big, gigantic, you know, people are coming up, and Jesus all of a sudden just like, you know, if you're thirsty, I'm here. And, of course, this is the Middle East, right? So everybody there is thirsty. They've been walking around on dusty streets for how many, you know, who knows how long. Everybody's thirsty. If you're thirsty, that got everybody's attention. And then he says, come here. I'll give you the fountain that never runs dry, the, the living water. You'll never thirst again. What? They're all probably looking around. What fountain is he talking about? But John goes on to say he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Got another note, Miss Daisy? I'm thinking. <laughs> Stop me when, when you got something. Um, I was, was going to go to uh, a verse that... that really kind of messes with my head and has always messed with my head, and that's Exodus 33. Kind of the backstory of this. This is right around that encounter where Moses goes up and spends time on the mountain and he gets the law and then he comes back down and Israel is all in... They've, they're all wrapped up in idolatry and they're worshiping the golden calf and whatever. This is, pri this is after that. Moses goes back up the mountain and God says this to Moses. God says, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with these people anymore. I'm finished. If I go with you, I'll kill you all. So I'm not going. And this is what God says to Moses. I will send my angel with you I will do everything that I said I would do, except I won't go. I'll drive the enemies out in front of you. I will settle your, your people in the land. I will, I'll do all that. I'll, I'll do all the things that I said I was going to do. All my promises will be kept, except I am not going to be dwelling in the midst of this people, because if I do, I'll kill you all. And in fact, God gives Moses the option, I will kill them all, and I'll start over with you. And we'll just, just be you and your kids. Hey, because I'm not going to deal with these stiff-necked people. I'm tired of people that won't listen to me. Now, let me ask you a question. Well, 
If you know the story, you know Moses stands up and says, no, God, you can't do that. You can't do that. First of all, you can't, you can't kill them all and start over with me. Wouldn't it be, I mean, think about Moses. What, a, what an enticement to kind of his pride, right? That means I'm the new Abraham. God's going to fulfill all his promises. I'm set as the father of God's people forever. Hmm. You think he thought about it for a minute? I probably would have. Moses was very much a human being. You know this about Moses. And Moses was just as upset with the people as God was. He was mad. You think he didn't think about it for a minute? I think he did. I think he took a couple seconds and went, well, you know, I have been wanting a couple more kids. <laughs> but then he says, no, God, you can't do that. And then he says the, the, the staggering thing, the unbelievable thing, and don't send us out of here if you're not going with us. Now let me put this in perspective. God was offering Moses success in his mission minus God's presence. Do you understand? God was saying, imagine in today's, in today's culture, imagine God coming to the pastor of a large church and saying, I will grow your church to be the largest church in the world. You will have followers all over the planet, whatever, but my presence isn't going to be there. I, 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 you will build buildings like you can't believe. You'll see, you know, you'll be on all of the different talk shows. You, you're going to be, uh, thousands of people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to be in the midst of this. I will make sure that you are successful in every measure you can possibly imagine, but I'm not going to be there. That's the offer. Is it not? I will take you to the land. I will clear out the enemies in front of you. I'll do everything I said I was going to do, but I'm not coming. Right? And Moses says, no deal. I want you. I'm not interested in success. I'm not interested in, in, in a job well done. I'm not interested in any of that unless you are with me because what I really want, God, is you. Without you, this means nothing to me. And in that, Moses passed the test. Because I honestly believe this was God. I think God was completely sincere in what he said, but I honestly believe this was God saying, Moses, do you really love me, or do you just love being the leader of a million people? And do you really love my people? Or do you just love being the leader of a million people? Moses passed the test. He said, I want you, God, and I want your people. Yeah. So, back to earth. Yeah. What do you do when you work for an organization that's made that decision to turn from God, move forward, and move on? Yeah. And have all these struggles, and you'd be on a prayer, what can you do? Well, that's something you have to talk to the Lord about. Honestly. If you truly think that the organization that you're involved with has already made that decision, and I would not, you know what? That is the decision that American church is making. Do you know, 
Do you know in, in the assembly of God, there are churches all throughout the assembly of God who are saying, we don't want the gifts in manifestation because visitors won't come. We don't want to spend extended time in worship because we want to make sure service is only so long. We want, they're making that decision. They're saying, I choose promised land over promise giver. The question is, are we a church if God's not in the house? But success is awfully alluring. Isn't it? And the question we have to ask is, Lord, do you still want me here? Because God may have you there to turn things around, or at least in the sphere that you're in, to begin to say, no, I will not do this. We are going to go after the presence of God and not, not after any other metric of success. But, or he may be bringing this to your attention so that you can, because he wants you to step away. I don't know, but that's between you and him. You have to ask him that question. Whatever happens, make sure that you that if, if you find yourself in that position, don't speak ill of leadership. Don't put your mouth on that leader. Don't you dare. David served under Saul. He hid in a cave for seven years because Saul was going to kill him. And he never, never touched God's anointed. He refused. And we better be in that same spot. We better be. That's why God exalted David to where he went. Because he, was, he had more interest in blessing God's anointed than he did in exalting himself. And that, that meant everything. Don't be Absalom. How many of you have read A Tale of Three Kings? If you haven't, read it. It's one thing to quietly step out and say, I need to pursue something else. It's another to make a big splashy thing and say, they're not where they're supposed to be. We, we can't do that. We just can't. Let God be the one that directs his people. Amen? We go a little bit further with uh, Moses and um, saying, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. Uh, a little, he goes a little bit further and he said, Show me your glory. He's saying, I want to know you. Okay, show me your glory. And God answers, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. His very essence of who he is. If you're coming to God in prayer, you have got to know who he is. If you're wondering why you don't want to come back sometimes, you're thinking he's up there like a, somebody's ready to smack you or do this or that. But when you know the very essence of God, and we find his essence, you know, if somebody tells you um, who they are, well, we got a lot of politicians telling us who they are. Do we always believe them? Do we take it with a grain of salt? But if God himself tells you who he is, do you think you can believe it? Might be possible. I'm going to read you who God is here. This is uh, yes, Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, verse 7. I think. Yeah. 
Uh, we know the story where he passed and uh, he hit him in the rock. And, and he said, uh, the Lord says, the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. Get these into your spirit. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering. <laughs> if you've done it a hundred times, keep coming back, guys. He's long-suffering, abounding in goodness. He abounds in truth. He keeps mercy for thousands. On and on and on and on. Who God is. If in the back of your mind, you don't really know who God is, and you, you're not going to be running into daddy as often. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't know that he forgives you. Okay? How many times can he... If he tells you to do a 70 times 7, do you think it's any problem for him to keep forgiving you? We've got to know who he is and that he's a rewarder of those that <coughs> diligently seek him. Amen. Show me your glory, Lord. He said, sure, I'd love for you to know me. This verse, this description of God is throughout the Old Testament. They knew it. Um, do you know Jonah? That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. If you get the last chapter of Jonah, he said, I knew he was going to do that. I knew he was going to do that because you're merciful and you're gracious. Rats. That's why I didn't want to go tell him. That's the whole reason he didn't want to tell them. Because he knew, his, knew who God was like. We need to know that. Whatever we're going through in our life, how many, many times you fail? You need to know who your God is. And you need to know that the blood, it's all been taken care of. Jesus doesn't have to do one more thing for us to get you forgiven. Not one more thing. You're thinking, oh, he's getting tired of me coming back. Oh, no. No. If you fall down, just get back up. I always tell people um, uh, that the Lord talks about living in the north. Just set your compass for north. You fall down, get back up, and go north. There you go. Back to you. If you want to know a place in Scripture where Moses' choice went the other way, just go look at Solomon. My whole life, I was, I, you know, I read the story of Solomon, and I was, and I was told that Solomon had made the right decision. You know, because early on in Solomon's uh, rule, he goes away for, it's a prayer retreat. He goes, he goes away and he offers sacrifices to the Lord and then he goes to bed. And that night, the Lord visits Solomon in a dream and says to him, what is it that you want? I'll give you anything. Okay? And we know what David's answer to that question would have been. No, we're actually saying it today. One thing I ask, and that only will I see. What is it? It's God. It's, yeah, that I may dwell in your house, that I might inquire in your temple, that I might gaze upon the beauty of God. That was David's one thing. If God had come to David in a dream, and maybe he did, it's just not recorded in Scripture, but if God had come to David in a dream and said, I'll give you anything you want, what is it? David would have said, I want you. Right? What does Solomon ask? Wisdom, but for what? That I might rule your people 
Well, what's he asking for? Success. Is he not? He wants to do a good job for God. He's saying, God, I, I just want to do this right. I just don't want to screw this up. I think that request was coming out of fear because he was a pretty young man and here he is ruling the kingdom after David. I mean, talk about following someone. Yeah. Man, I got to do this. Oh, man. I mean, can I have done this after Saul? That would have been a lot easier. I got to follow up the greatest king. And he says, I just don't want to screw this up, God. And God says, okay. You've asked for this, so I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give you even more. Because it isn't that what he asked for was bad. But so often, we settle for the good when we could have the best. Is there anything wrong with the dream of the promised land? No. It's God's desire for us, right? God is the one that gave the promise to them of the promised land. God is the one that said, I'm going to take you to the land. I'm going to drive out the enemies. I'm going to do all this. They didn't ask for that. God just said, this is what I'm going to do. God came to them with this idea. I want you living in this land over here. I'm going to take care of everything for you. I'm going to put you in that place flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. And Israel was like, okay, right? Abraham didn't ask for land. God gave it to him anyway. Abraham is interesting. And we don't really have time. I'd love to walk through the Abraham story because it's the same story. Solomon says, I want wisdom so that I can rule your people well. And that's not a bad request. That's an honorable request. But what he should have asked for was a relationship with the Father. That's what he should have asked for. He should have asked for what David would have asked for. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon knew that, but he didn't make that request. And so we see success without God. And where does it lead? Generation after Solomon, what happens? Everything crashes and burns. Because he taught his son that if you chase success and you don't chase God, you're going to hit success. Solomon made the wrong decision, not the right one. He made the wrong decision. And it walked him right out from the promise of God. Yes. Right. Well, you know, the truth, and I'm stealing from Mike Bickle in this, this next phrase, but he stole it from somebody else. So <laughs> the lover will always outwork the worker. Every time. When desire for God, when passion for him, when love for him has completely baptized our heart, when everything we are is about more of God and loving God and, and honoring God and serving, when, when that's who we are, we will accomplish far more than the one that says, I just want to do a good job for God. I, don't just, I just don't want to mess this up. Because one is motivated by love and the other is motivated by fear. 
or worse, self-servanthood. I just read again, you guys probably heard this because it was from Charles Spurgeon. I love him. I would read him all day. I do sometimes. He tells this story about this farmer who was pulling up his carrots out of his vegetable garden and he pulls up this amazing, gorgeous one, huge, gorgeous carrot, the best carrot he's ever seen. And so out of his joy and love for his king, he goes to his king and says, this is the greatest carrot I have ever created, I have ever you know, grown in my garden ever. And because of that, I want to give it to you because I love you and you're my king and I, I, just, I want to honor you with this gift. And the king was so moved by his servant's gift that he said, you know what? Right next to your land is a plot of land that I own, and I'm going to give it to you because you love me, and I know that you'll do well with that plot of land. And the servant was so bowled over by the king's generosity. Oh, wow. Oh, and so he leaves full of joy. Well, standing in the, in the place is one of the courtiers, you know, one of the lords of the court. He sees what happens with the servant and says, well, I can do one better. So he brings the king his finest horse from his stables and says, this is the greatest horse I've ever bred. This is the most mighty horse that I've ever, that, I, that has ever come out of my stables and I want to honor you by giving it to you. And the king says, thanks, and takes it and puts it away. Doesn't say anything else. <laughs> and the Lord says, I don't understand. What, what? This servant gave you a carrot. I gave you a horse. The king said, ah, ah, ah. The servant gave me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. Servant is a picture of what it looks like to serve Jesus out of a heart of passion for him, for what he desires, for what he wants, and just wanting all of him that you can get. The other is what it looks like to, to follow God's way because we're chasing down success. We're a job well done. It's Solomon's choice all over again. And that's, that is the essence of the mystery of prayer. We're setting our hearts not on what we desire, not on what we want, not on what we think would be best, but we're, say, we're stepping before the Lord, just like in the Lord's Prayer, and saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What is it, what are you dreaming over me and my friends, my family, my region, what is in your heart, Father? Because I just want to agree with you. And in more than just word, I want to agree with you in deed. I want to agree with you in, in, in passion. I want to say yes with every fiber of my being and with all the service and energy of my heart and of my life. I want to say yes to what you want to do. It's not about me. But God is going to bless you when you step into that place. Look at Abraham, he was wealthy, not because he sought wealth, but because he sought God. David was the only king of Israel that ever saw the borders expanded to where God had promised Israel they'd be expanded to. After David and since then, Israel has never seen its, its borders brought to the place where God had said they would go. David's the only king of Israel that saw that kind of breakthrough. The only one, not even Solomon in all of his wealth, saw the boundaries go to where David had expanded them to. Only David saw the fulfillment of that promise, and the only he's the only one that ever will until Jesus comes, and then we'll see his kingdom cover the whole earth. 
are you, uh... Um, I'm thinking about, you know, hearing the voice of God. <coughs> There's some choices you have when you hear a voice. What are some of the choices you can decide? You're trying to figure out, is this voice... Yourself. yourself? What else can it be? You're listening to a voice. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired, yeah. <laughs> I had really bad pizza last night. <laughs> okay. Wh whose voice could it be? The enemy? Your own self? Or it can be God. So how do you determine it? Train yourself to listen. Know your God. Does it line up with the, with the Word of God? Listen to all these things. How about the fact, I, I say, listen to the tone of the voice. Mm. Get what I'm talking about? Yes. If you start feeling guilty, condemned, is that your God? Is that the way he works? You don't want to, okay. Did you know that Satan knows scripture? We know that because Jesus he quoted scripture to it. So when you get this voice that comes to you, I, when I was a young Christian, the voice came and says, He that has my commandments and keepeth it, keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And I think, oh, I don't love God. I don't love God. And, and I would feel it would destroy me. I would feel terrible. And finally I got smart enough to listen to the tone of the voice and what it was doing to me. And I thought, that's not God. Why would he want me to give up? I mean, why would he want me to quit? This is not God. And it was, it was scripture. He that has my commandments. He was said kind of like this. He that has my commandments. And keep us now. He it is that loveth me. And I fell for it because I was a new Christian. I thought, oh God, I don't love you. Well, there I go. Give up. The Lord will never give you a word that wants you give up. Amen. He'll give you constructive. You'll know by the tone of his voice, and you'll know by it lining up with the word of God. You'll know by uh, by reason of use. Okay, if you're new at this, you're in the voice of God. Just keep coming back. Believe that He is, and believe what He is according to Exodus. He's gracious, merciful, kind, long-suffering, full of goodness, full of truth. This is your God. Keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And whatever stops you from coming back, deal with it. Some of you, if you've got guilt or feel, you know, like, man, I've done this. God must be tired of hearing me. Uh, you know, I don't know where all of you are at, but I can remember time of my life when I, I came back and I said, God, I did it again. And he said, what'd you do? I said, you know. <laughs> It's that same old thing. I was arguing with my husband, actually. <laughs> but I, he said, don't you remember? What happens when you confess your sin? Okay. What does the word confess mean? You agree with God. Okay, you agree with God. He's faithful. It's okay. Just to forgive your sin. See? And cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He's buried in the deepest sea. <coughs> don't stay there and don't allow the enemy at any stage of your, your um, level of being with him to ever not 
come back, come back, come back. I don't care if you have to come back in 10 minutes. Or maybe 15 minutes, it was the same thing. During those 15 minutes, you're serving God. And if you confess it real quick, you can keep serving Him most of your life. Because you know how to instantly. I got to the place where I call it um, God's forgiveness to me is like the bug, the, uh, bug snapper. You know, the little, you just, <laughs> I'll just say, it, you know, I don't go into all details. Oh, forgive me. I say, pride. He, he zaps it and it's gone. And I go on. You know, let's get to the place where we just let God zap it immediately. And we move on. And we serve him with all our heart. And we keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Difference between conviction and condemnation. That's what she's talking about. I want you to think about those two words. What does it mean to be convicted? What does it mean? Like outside of a outside of a God context, you've been convicted. What have you? What's what's happening? Right. What does it mean to be condemned? What do they write over a building that's about to be destroyed? Yeah. This is what condemnation means. It means it's, this is bound for destruction. Conviction is found guilty, but there's no sentence. And the Holy Spirit brings what you messed up to your attention, but he doesn't pronounce sentence of you. Okay? Condemnation is... You're going down, you know. This is the end for you. It's it's the sentence that comes about, you know. You're bound for destruction, like the building has been condemned. So conviction is the knowledge of my sin, but there is hope. Condemnation is there's no hope at all. You're done. That's that's I totally agree with you, Miss Daisy. That it's it's that difference when the voice comes and there's hope in it. That's the Holy Spirit. When the voice comes and it's and you just want to quit because, oh, there's no hope for me. That's not God. Reject it. Out of hand. All right, we have five minutes. Go. Okay. So, I'm with this, and I want to know what you, your thoughts are on prayer, the power of prayer, working through the Holy Spirit. You heard the word. Something like prayer is powerful enough to change something because of the law. But I don't want it to be where you know I say something that's not of God. But um, if we pray with the knowledge of the power of prayer, that it changes things. So I guess I put that out there. Yeah. The, my understanding of prayer, I'll admit. I don't have like three doctorates or anything like that in theology. My understanding of prayer is that we're coming into alignment with God's purpose and God's plan. And that's when the authority of God is released to actually accomplish what we pray. Right? It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's releasing heaven onto the earth. Now, if I'm standing outside of alignment, is any authority being released? No. And so I don't think we should worry 
that, well, if I pray something that's out of God's will, then it's going to happen, it's going to be my fault. Does that make sense? I think when we stand in alignment with what God's will is for a situation, His power is released to accomplish it, and it's His power, not our prayer. Does that, does that make sense? All of a sudden, you're the hose that's hooked up to the spigot, and water comes flowing through. But if you're over here and you're not hooked up to anything, you can't spray you know, water anywhere because there's no water coming through. Does that make sense to you? It may not make sense to anybody else Go. here, but yeah. there's some different things that's happened in my life recently connected some of these comments made today. Right. You know, one, when you first started off about what does that mean to be made in the image of God, theoretical stuff. But over Christmas, I was in a, in a church service where the first time I'd ever heard it said this way, that the pastor was talking about how Jesus came to make us more human. And it hit me in there. Uh, I know a lot of times, and you're getting to the point that different people have made, like, you know, we confuse, I think, the flesh and our sinful nature with human nature. I yeah. think God gave us that starting point mm -hmm. so that you know, to be able to be transformed okay, once we hear Him. And one comment, you know, I hear servant a lot, and it was just this morning, I was coincidentally reading in John, John 15, and it had never hit me before, this John reference 15. that Jesus said to his disciples, that you are my friends. Yeah. yeah. I don't call you servant anymore, I call you yes, friend. Yes, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. Right. And you, I have told you, you've yeah. heard my word, it's the word of God. You are now my friend. Yeah. And I think this seeking of God's will yeah. and, and the prayer and the alignment, as I'm interpreting what mm -hmm. you said earlier, is where we're really wanting to fully understand further. We, we know the main message of who God is from the scriptures, but to really bring that into our lives and really <laughs> take ownership and understand it allows us to be a true friend. Yeah. Now, I'm not in any way trying to say, hey, we get elevated to God's status. I'm just within this standpoint we don't of become being God. a friend and understanding our master as opposed Absolutely. to Absolutely. No, that's exactly what we're talking about. Is that God's not looking for servants. He's looking for friends. That's why he created us. Now, God wasn't lonely. Can I just knock that one out? God did not create humans because he was lonely. If you've ever heard that, that person, whoever said that, even if it was me, they were wrong. God was not lonely. God has always existed in community. What he wanted was someone else to come in. You know, we, it's in John 15 through 17 that we begin to understand that we have been invited into the relationship of God with God. That is unbelievable, but it's real. Jesus says, Right there in that portion of Scripture, Jesus says that God the Father loves us with the same love that he loves his Son. That'll make your nose bleed. And think about that for five seconds. We do not deserve it. <laughs> We've done nothing to earn it, and that's exactly why he can give it to you. Yeah. Uh, maybe a simple little thing is uh, our prayer
you're at in your life, whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a long, long time, um, this desire to know God, Paul, at the end of his life, said that I might know him. That I might know him. He said, man, that, that was my, my life verse, that I might know him, but I, I forgot to read the rest of it. I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. sufferings, He made conformable like unto his death. Yeah, I'm asking for it. You're going to go through the whole thing, but you're going through it, and you're going to know him in the midst of all of this. Um, Is it okay if I close with a... Yes, please do it. Okay, so part of your life gets to know him better. If Paul could say that at his age... Amen. Uh, Okay, imagine you're hired to open up an office in Alaska. Your new boss gives you a high-tech-looking two-way radio. This is about hearing from God. He gives you the policy, a manual. He tells you that you you will receive instructions once you get to Alaska. So off you go. Upon arrival, you hear your boss's voice over this radio, and it says, I'm going to communicate with you through only through this radio unit. Take note, our competitors, the enemies, they also have access to the same channel. They'll try to impersonate my voice with false messages to stop our purposes. You think, oh no, how am I going to know if it's you or the enemy talking to me? Your boss's voice comes back over the radio. There's going to be three ways you're going to know it's my voice. First, consider the situation. Check every message supposedly from me against the policy and the procedural manager. Manual. Check it with the manual. Since I wrote it, I'm not likely to violate it. Right? Also, if I'm not talking, don't focus on the noise and pretend that I am. If I'm not speaking, let the manual be your guide. Don't let any impersonating voice misguide you or your overactive imagination. Second, since the manual does not cover every situation, your manual will not tell you who you marry. It won't be written down there in the first two, chapter one. Uh, The manual does not cover every situation. You'll have to get to know my voice. This will take time, but I'm not likely to ask you to do anything radical until we both have some low-risk successes under our belt. (laughs) Remember, I understand the situation perfectly well, so I'm going to go slow with you. A time will come when I will be able to tell you to do the wildest things, and you'll know it's me. In the short term, you must be trained at low-risk experiences. And third, over time, my overall purpose for your work, for your life, will begin to come into focus. You will begin to see the grand strategy in the policy and procedural manual and the overall pattern of my instructions. When this happens, you'll know instantly if what you hear through the unit is me, your imagination, the enemy, false instructions will begin to appear silly to you. So take heart and listen.
All right, we're going to break now. 10.45, all y'all go to, the, uh, to room 46 across the hallway, okay? And, uh, well, you know, because we're comfortable in here. <laughs> so, yeah, 10.45, meet over there across the hall, and guys, have a great day.